Have you ever thought much about the difference between guilt and shame? As I look those words up, different people have a lot of different definitions for those things. Um, but I tend to um, distinguish those as two very distinct and separate things to help me understand my own often, my, my sense of shame, my, how I deal with sin in my life. Um, I find that in the distinction that I have between those words, shame usually goes to about how I feel about myself and who I am. And guilt, in my estimation, is how I feel about something I've done. So does that make sense? Like shame is about who I am as a person, and guilt is about something that I have done. I think that guilt should be a motivation for us to, to feel remorse and, and make amends as needed. Um, but this morning, what I really want to focus on is the incredible opportunity that we have to place our shame and guilt and place that at the foot of the cross and have reconciliation with Jesus and be able to allow the cross take those things away in our life as we allow that to happen. And, and for me, um, understanding shame, I think shame focuses on the entire self of, of who I am. Guilt focuses on the acts that harm self and others. I think shame makes us feel bad about who we are, like as a person. Guilt makes us feel bad about what we did. Shame causes us to ask, how, how could I have done that? How could I have done that? For guilt is like, ask, how could I have done that? Shame leads us to feel extreme um, distress and impairment and kind of knocks us down where we can't move forward. Guilt brings a moderate pain about what we've done. Shame in no way um, makes, it makes us believe we're not in control of adverse conditions, but guilt helps us believe that personal control um, can happen over adverse outcomes. Very often, shame triggers our fight-or-flight response that causes us to shrink back or to avoid or to escape, and guilt may feel us feel tension and remorse that causes us to action. And so shame may motivate us then to hide or attack ourselves or even others. But guilt should motivate us to repair damage and make amends. Shame causes us to blame others, find scapegoats. But guilt leads us to take personal responsibility. So as we're looking at these issues of, of guilt and shame, I would love for us to look in... Um, in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, the story here in the Garden of Eden, and here God has created the perfect environment, environment of love, this place where God and humanity are like together and they intersect, and people are actually walking and talking. Adam and Eve are, are spending time with God face-to-face, -face, an incredible environment that's impossible for me to even imagine because of the, the wonder of it. But then in the midst of this became a sense of selfishness, a sense of understanding I want more than what I have, and we see what we today would call the fall. So let's take in and look in a few verses here in Genesis 3. And as I read this, think about what Adam and Eve may be feeling 
And also don't be afraid to put yourself in their place as I read these passages. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So I hid. So as we see this passage, we have an understanding of the sense of, of, I've done something wrong. And as I notice here, that they chose to run and hide because of what was going on. You know, how do, how do you respond whenever you find that you've, you've missed the mark, you have done something that is wrong, goes against yourself and other people? What are you tempted to do? You, as a youth minister, and I was blessed to be a part of, of teenagers' lives, it wasn't uncommon for a young person to make a mistake. And always inside I would be like, and I would take a deep breath and hope for the best for them. And sometimes I would even think this could be a really good thing. Not that the person did something wrong, but in the, the moment of being caught and it fully things being exposed, that it's, a, it's an opportunity. It's an incredible opportunity for a person either to step forward and embrace that and like work with God and move forward and, and learn from that experience or to choose not to do that and to take a step backwards and then continue in that path. And most of, of the time when I see people facing something where they've made a mistake, they do, I see, move forward. They take it as an opportunity to take a step forward into the arms of God and continue their lives, but learning that God is a Savior who forgives and that their past is behind them. But as we look here at Adam and Eve, and at this point, they are running, they are hiding. And I'm wondering, why are they hiding? Like, what is it that's been going through their minds as they are running from the presence of God, one that they have only known to be loving and caring and, and giving and generous with them, and they chose to run from their creator. They, they chose to run from their father. And what was there? Were they here in the passage? It says simply that they were, they didn't have clothes and they were afraid, but, but at the same time, they did have coverings. They had sewed fig leaves together and they still, the sense of guilt or, or shame that they had was too great that they were not wanting to see God as God was walking among them. And I think so often whenever we do commit sin in our own lives, we want to run. We want to run away from what happened. We want to run away from God in that. But when we do that, we put further distance between actually the one who brings us reconciliation, the one who brings love to us completely and wholly. As Adam and Eve were, were running from this 
the circumstance that they had created. I'm wondering, they, do they even know the weight of what they've done? You know, they, they see themselves, they disobeyed God, and, and they realize within their own shame they weren't wearing clothing. But did they realize that the fall had just happened? Did they realize that they had brought sin into the world for all of humanity? Did they realize that they had completely gone against this direction that God had given them? And did they know what their future would hold? I doubt if they knew the full weight of that. And that's the same way that whenever we miss the mark, whenever God calls us to walk a certain path and we go astray, we may realize some of the impact of that, but not fully all at once. Because if we really knew the weight of our own sin, it could be incredibly um, pressing upon us and the shame and the guilt would be so much to bear that usually we learn little by little the weight of what we've done and the weight of the sin that is in our past but here do you see how God responded to this situation it says after this passage that I read that he made them clothing and in this making of clothing, it said he made it from animal skins. And I, I wonder myself, where did he get the animal skins? Did, did he find the animals? Did, did he offer, was this the first sacrifice to cover people's sins as these animals um, died to provide coverings for them? Our sin has consequences. And even when we have the full forgiveness of God, we still, because of the way that the world is created, that whenever we go against the path that God has created us, there's natural consequences that are built in. And even after we are blessed with full forgiveness that is available to us through God, there's consequences that still remain after that. But as God responded to them, he made clothing for them, but then he also, the Bible says, he removed them from the garden. And it wasn't, it wasn't mentioned as much punitive as it was an understanding that if they ate of the tree of life, they would live forever, and they would be stuck in their sin for eternity. And so God had a different plan in mind for the future of humanity. So he removed them from the garden, and there we all are. We all are separated from God. We are all have sin in our lives. And then the question before us, are we stuck with our shame? Are we stuck with our guilt? And the answer is no. You see, God made a way of redemption for us. In 2 Corinthians, as I'm getting ready to read, here in this passage, this is a letter that Paul wrote. Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. And this isn't the first letter that he has written. We have in 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing a letter um, challenging the church and that they were very divided on theology and other issues. And so Paul wrote them a letter of, of theology, a letter of love, um, challenging them to be unified in what they were doing, challenging them to remove sin from within their church family and to take care of um, challenging people and encouraging people. But after that letter was sent, it looked like the division remained. And so then Paul made a visit to them after that first letter and challenged them face to face. And after he left, the um, struggle still remained. They were still disunified, and many were unimpressed, apparently, with Paul. 
because as he came, he did not come as a person of, of wealth. He did not come with a person of stature. He did not come with a person who was an incredibly great speaker. He simply came as a humble, poor person who had dedicated his life to preaching the good news to the lost. And as he came, the sight that he was before them, for some in the church, was very unimpressive because the life that he chose of humility, which led him to often be in jail and in prison, um, his resume that he would have, his CV that he was presenting to them, was something, if you were of the person of the world, was completely unimpressive. So we have this, imagine this person coming to the church, and he is sharing the good news, and he is telling this is the way a church should behave, this is what a church should be doing, and he looks like a, a pauper, he looks like a poor person, he has gotten out of jail recently and probably will be going to jail again because of him going against the, the government and religious leadership at the time, and he is telling them how to do church. And apparently here in Corinth there were leaders who were well-to-do, they were great speakers, and they were blessed in many ways with what they were um, within their business dealings and with what was going on. And within them, there was this contradiction between the way some were living and the success of the world and flesh, and then Paul, who was simply a humble servant of God. And so as he writes them in this chapter, he, in the beginning, and if you Go back and read the fullness of chapter 5 and, and previous chapters because Paul is also referring back to Genesis and is referring to the sin that was brought into the world through Adam and Eve and their actions and them feeling their, their nakedness before God. And here Paul preaches to them that yes, he is a non-impressive person, but it doesn't matter because Jesus is the one he is pointing to and the redemption and the reconciliation through the cross. So let's start reading here in verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that the one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So here he's teaching an idea that through what Adam has done that has brought sin into the world, Jesus, as one, has brought this ability to remove sin from our lives. So in 16, so from now on, we regard, we regard no one from a worldly point of view of the flesh. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, is, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, and the old is gone, and the new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As Paul is, is talking to the Corinthian church here, he's imploring to them an understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. That as one becomes a follower of Christ, it's not simply a choice to change from one religion to another. It's not simply a choice that affects the actions that we do, but becoming a follower of Christ makes available to us because of what Christ has done on the cross and his, his resurrection is an opportunity to actually transform who we are from the inside out. That because of the reconciliation that is available because of what Christ has done, then we can have back unity. We can have this connection. We can have this availability of connection of love between us and God, not because of what we've done, but what Christ has done on the cross and his resurrection. So therefore, as we become a follower of Christ, we become a new creation. We become a new creature. So that what is important to one in the flesh and what is important to someone from the point of the world, it changes when we become a follower of Christ. A follower of Christ is called to care about connecting with the creator of the universe, connecting with Christ, and recognizing that there is this, this reconciliation. Paul says here that after you became a follower of Christ, you get to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation, that all of us get the opportunity to explain to the world that there is a way of living, a way of hope, a way of removing sin from our lives, a way that walks us away from our shame and away from our guilt because of what Christ has done, and that we can have this oneness and this newness with God, and that we can actually become the righteousness of God, not based on what we do, but as a gift that is given to us. Paul is explaining that when we become a Christian, we see the world with new eyes. And what we once thought was unimportant is now important. So it's not success as the world sees things, but it's success as God sees things. God sees success as us having a humble, contrite heart who is placing all of our emphasis on his love, his generosity, and his understanding of sin that he actually removes from our lives. So we are all now ministers together. We are all ministers. We are all ambassadors for this new kingdom, this new way of living, this new way of connecting with God and connecting with each other. And we have this availability not only to receive this blessing, but we have this opportunity to share this blessing with those around us. And so as we enter into this ministry to this ambassadorship, the world has the opportunity for hope. The world has opportunity to be transformed to be who God is calling us to be. So as we worship together this morning, are you experiencing guilt from something from your past? Are you, even worse, are you experiencing shame for that because of what you have done, that your view of yourself makes you feel lower than dirt? Does it 
make you feel horrible, like the actual who you are as a person is unworthy of the love of Christ. I've had many tell me that they can forgive others quite easily, but the one they have the most difficulty in forgiving is actually themselves. And as they experience their own pain of the choices they've made that hurts them, and even worse, hurting the ones that they love, that this opportunity of reconciliation is a powerful message. That not only can God remove the sin from you, but as we fully grasp the understanding of God's incredible and the depth of his love for us, that that, that shame that we feel can be transferred to a feeling of, I'm a child of the king. That I am a prince, I am a princess of the Holy One of God. And that as I live my life from this day forward, I can do so and hold my head high even though there may be terrible things in my past. That now when God sees me, all God sees is the righteousness of Christ and the righteousness of what He has done. And so we have this incredible opportunity of love that no matter how badly we feel about ourselves, the cross covers that. The cross covers whatever may be bringing shame into our life. The cross covers and brings us hope and brings us an understanding that we can be reconciled with God, we can be reconciled to each other, and that through unity and wholeness we can walk forward arm in arms in the love of God. So for you this morning, I want to ask the question, what are the areas of my life that are leading me toward shame? That whatever shame there is there, our guilt, we have an opportunity to just set it down, allow the love of Christ to completely overwhelm us with an understanding that God forgives us completely, and that God does not lead us toward shame, but God leads us toward wholeness and love and completeness and who God calls us to be. And as a follower of Christ, this love is complete. And no matter where we have been in our past, that doesn't mark our future. I've heard the expression a lot that whatever a person's history is, is the best prediction of their future. But Jesus covers that. Jesus gives us the ability that no matter what our path has been and no, no matter how stuck we have been in a rut that we feel like we can't get out of and the sin that holds us in place, that if we fully surrender to his love, if we fully surrender where we think we need to go and listen to where God wants us to go and the actions that God calls us to do versus the actions that our, our flesh is calling us to go, that if we fully embrace that, that we can move forward fully with his love and with his passion for us. Heavenly Father, as we, as we take a deep breath and understand the gravity of our sin, because it's bad, but God, then as we look to you and your work of righteousness on the cross, we recognize, wow, that is so much bigger. God, thank you that through your work on the cross and your love that is expressed so fully and completely that you remove our shame and our guilt and you lift us up on your, your arms of love. 
that just as your arms were spread on the cross, your arms are open to love us now. Thank you for that. So God, may we fully, may we fully count and understand the weight of our sin, but then let it go. God, teach us how to let it go, to set it down, so that we can free our hands to love you, to love others, as we walk in your path of love. God, we thank you for your righteousness you bring to us as a gift. Thank you. In your precious name we pray. Amen.